You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Got your back? Yeah, hold on one sec. I'm still there. I just, my Bluetooth has to contact. I'm going to open up this edition of 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all new GMC AT4 lineup by asking Elliot a very pointed and direct question. Elliot, right now, as you're driving home from Sportsnet after doing a big doubleheader of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning, and then most recently, the Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers, it feels like you've had how many cups of coffee and how many energy drinks? All of them in the world. <laughs> like I am so wired right now, Jeff. I don't know how I'm going to sleep. It's 1.47. I'm on my way home. I'm doing this podcast. I have no idea how I'm going to sleep. I'm going to have to go home and load into my iPad the most boring television that you can imagine. I guess that would have to be Kevin BXA broadcast clips. <laughs> I'm going to have to load up Kevin BXA broadcast clips right. so I have any hope of falling asleep before 4 in the morning. It was such an incredible night. Two great games. I mean, I was watching the other two games too, but I couldn't pay attention as much. But the two games, Toronto, Tampa, and Edmonton, L.A., were intense, exciting, thrilling games. I am so wired right now. I can't believe I'm driving below 150, and I have no <laughs> idea how I'm going to go to bed because I am absolutely wired after these games tonight. It was exciting. It was a great night. It was great hockey, too. Those were um, emotional flavor pucks, uh, those two games. were. Let's focus on the most recent one that's, uh, that's got you the most wired right now. And I don't think it was just about the overtime either. And Adrian Kempe salts it away, 5-4, the Kings win, and grab a 3-2 series lead heading back to California. But getting there, the Ryan McLeod double minor, the Philip Deneau goal that we all thought was the dagger at 4-2. LA's got to have a killer instinct here. Kempe down there! As the Los Angeles Kings regain their two-goal lead. The Dreisaitl goal that made it 4-3. The Dreisaitl goal that tied everything up. Splicing through. Here's Dreisaitl. Over to McDavid. Quickly to the net. Now behind. Nugent Hopkins back to McDavid. Dreisaitl shoots. Scores! And then... The killer, the intermission, 
the Zamboni, the ice resurfacer comes out and everybody retires to their dressing room. And then, Elliot, everything changed. Your thoughts on that? I guess we'll call it the closing sequence of the game, starting with the Ryan McLeod double minor. I have to say that if life is fair, and often it isn't, but if life was fair, the Kings deserved to win that game. They were the better team for most of the night. They deserved the W. They earned it. I really thought the key was getting to overtime, Jeff. I think if the way that game was going, even though they had double minor power play advantage, you know, midway through the third period, the way that game was going, if there's two or three minutes more in regulation, the Oilers win it. They were skating circles around them. McDavid and Dreisaitl, as you said, were going. That was all set up for Edmonton to steal that one in regulation. But the thing I thought about was when they got to overtime, you know, you've got Todd McClellan in there who's seen everything. You've got Anja Kopitar and Jonathan Quick and Dustin Brown in there who've seen everything. And I just thought they'd be able to calm down and reset and refocus. And they would just be told, let's go back to who we are. Let's go back to being what we are and play the way we play. Now, I wasn't expecting them to completely dominate overtime and win it on the first shift. That certainly wasn't my idea of what was going to occur. But I really felt that once we got into the intermission, you know, the Oilers' momentum dissipated and the Kings were in a better position to regain control of the series and dictate the terms and pace like they had for the first, most of the first 60 minutes. You have a thought on that overtime and Adrian Kempe scores and Adrian Kempe on a side note for another conversation another day is a restricted free agent with arbitration, right? So that's just so delicious. Adrian Kempe with the overtime winner and man, did the Kings come out flying in overtime, Elliot. Well, Kevin made the point, right, that McDavid took the opening face-off, and it's the only time he touched the puck. Yep. The Kings are, they're a really, really confident team. There was a hilarious shot. I really laughed at it. So Kempe scores, and on the goal line camera, so the camera that's on the goal line at ice level, that Kempe was skating away from, so his back was to that camera after he scored, He skates away, and there's a hilarious shot of two Oilers fans who see the puck go in, and they're the first two to race up the stairs to beat traffic. Like it was, it was, it was just hilarious. I saw it, and I I was laughing. I I couldn't stop laughing at it. But they earned it. You know, if if life is fair, it was a fair win because Mm -hmm. they were the better team for most of the game. Uh, flashpoint moment, and we'll see what happens. We know it's been clipped for review by the NHL Department of Player Safety. Darnell Nurse and the headbutt on Philip Deneau. Yeah, I. Uh, it's this is going to be a huge one. You know, down three two. I don't know what to make of it. I know people out there say that you never know what the Department of Player Safety is going to do. I actually, in a lot of ways, disagree with that. I think they've become pretty consistent. You can Google or look at their history of suspensions and kind of have an idea of the way they think about things. But there's just not a lot when it comes to headbutts. And there was a headbutt suspension this year. Chris Weidman of Montreal got one game. I thought that was intentional too, but I I didn't think it was as bad as nurses. 
Like Stefan Kintal, who used to run the Department of Player Safety, years ago he got into something with Andre Nazarov. It's all over YouTube. Mm -hmm. And Nazarov headbutted him, and there was no suspension. Now, that was a long time ago, so I'm not sure how relevant it is. But I think it gives you an idea of how little of a baseline there is when it comes to headbutts. I really don't know what to make of it, but I think, you know, Darnell Nurse made a big mistake putting himself on his team in this position. I wouldn't be surprised, Jeff, if he gets a hearing Mm -hmm. just to hear what he has to say. Like, what were you thinking here? I don't know, but this is, uh, this is going to be a big story in advance of uh, this series shifting back to Los Angeles. We'll stand by. Uh, meanwhile, the Toronto Maple Leafs have the Tampa Bay Lightning defending two-time Stanley Cup champion um, at the brink. They've pushed them to the point of elimination. They win 4-3. to three. They grab a 3-2 series lead. But getting there for the Maple Leafs, Elliott, wasn't exactly easy. This was the classic case of the slow start once again by Toronto. So I grew up in Toronto. I've lived most of my life here. I've got a lot of friends who are big Leaf fans or family members who are big Leaf fans. I wish I could show all my text messages from the first period of this game. These people were killing the Leafs. They were just killing them. And, you know, they looked doomed. They, they really looked doomed. Um, Jack Campbell absolutely saved them. He absolutely saved them. They were down 2 nothing. It could have been a lot worse. Even the goal, their first goal was, what, their fifth shot of the game. It, it took them yeah. a lot of time to get going. And I can only imagine what it was like. People were totally writing them off. They were firing the the entire front office. They were firing the coaches. <laughs> they, were, they were trading half the roster. Yeah. I mean, you should have seen the text messages. And all you had to do was watch the way the game it was going. And... They flipped the switch. They turned the game around. And I really thought that the game one win, the shutout win, was the most impressive Leaf playoff performance I've seen in a long time. But for this core four, this group of players, and what they are trying to accomplish as a group, this was their most impressive victory. Nylander, a game after he was vilified, and and deservedly so, for not showing enough of an effort. He had three points. Tavares had two points. Matthews and Marner, they combined for seven points, the four of them. And Matthews and Marner did the perfect pass off the pads. And they knew what each other was doing. It was simpatico. Leafs defend their line. And here comes a partial two-on-one. Marner with Matthews. Matthews rebound. Scores! Matthews scores! Change the narrative, baby! Austin Matthews with 6.06 to go in the sixth. Put the Leafs up. 4-3. Boo, boo, boo. Austin Matthews with his third goal of the series. What a read in the neutral zone. And what a stop here from Jack Campbell. Look at this. Right off the shoulder from Kucherov. That's when I screamed, oh no. Instant analysis, I know. Bunting with an excellent read in the neutral zone. Matthews to Marner. Marner puts it on. And Matthews with the rebound. Buries it. The Leafs with six minutes and six seconds to defend this lead. Can they do it? Three goals. That dude's not even wearing a shirt. There's a bunch of dudes not even wearing a shirt. None of us should be wearing shirts because the Leafs have a 4-3 lead. 
there's a point, and if you're a true Toronto Maple Leaf fan, there is a point in this game where you said there is no way that they're winning it. No way. And they pulled it out. And, you know, credit to them. If any any true Leaf fan who says when it was 2-0 they thought the Leafs are winning it, you're either lying to us or you're lying to yourselves. That was the biggest win by that core four. And now the thing is, can they close it out? I thought what Keith said was really good. And I think Keith has had from a handling the external pressure and all the noise, this has been his best 48-hour period as Toronto's coach. But his message of, if we don't win one more, this isn't going to be worth it, it's totally true. Now they've got to get one more. And that's been so hard for them to get. There was one moment in this game that, to me, the whole thing hinged on. For the Maple Leafs, because the whole thing could have absolutely come crumbling down and we would have been talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs going to Amelie Arena and getting crushed. And again, then your texts would have been on fire one more time, Ellie. You know what that moment was? Spencer Campbell? No, the Nick Paul breakaway on Jack Campbell. Oh, yes. Yeah, Jack Campbell saved their bacon. If Nick Paul scores on that play, Elliot... It's over, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, that's it. Good night. That is the final nail. And Campbell stopped it. That was the And you could tell right away, the minute he made that save, everybody can feel it. That's the moment. Remember that save, because that's the one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, Spezza was hoping he would get his moment, especially at the beginning of of the series when he wasn't in the lineup. But, you know, Spezza, first of all, he talked down Campbell. And Austin Matthews didn't want to tell Kyle who spoke up in the dressing room. But (laughs) Tavares let the cat out of the bag. You know, Spezza, like you look at all the guys Toronto's brought in to kind of be the mentor, right? Be the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the Maple Leafs. There's been Ron Hainsey. There's been Joe Thornton. There's been the now retired Patrick Marlowe. There's been several guys like this, Wayne Simmons, Kyle Clifford, and Spets has been there obviously now for a couple of years, but holy smokes, did he, did everything that they've asked him to do or that every dollar they've paid him mm-hmm. was worth it on this night to get them back on track. And, you know, but like I said, they got to win one more. And our producer tonight, Brian Spears, we were in the parking garage and we're leaving, Jeff. He said, it's like the irresistible force versus the immovable object. Toronto's inability to close out a series versus a Tampa team that never loses back to back. Yeah. And that's what we've got game six. Like, can you change the narratives? That's it's, that's the question. We shall see. Um, okay. The other couple of games uh, around the NHL on Tuesday night, the Carolina Hurricanes uh, grab a three to two series lead. Uh, they beat the Boston Bruins by a final score of uh, five to one. Uh, Seth Jarvis with a pair. The first one was just ugly and beautiful, Elliot, because you know I'm going to bring it up. I know you love those goals. Yeah, I really, I really do. Uh, Tara Vina with three assists. Uh, Trocheck with a goal and two assists as well. Anti Ranta with 28 saves, and the returning Charlie McAvoy. I'd like to point out as well, coming off COVID protocol, logs in 25 minutes and 14 seconds. What did you make of the Hurricanes and the Bruins? Well, the whole McAvoy thing was pretty crazy because, 
you know, I didn't think there was any chance he was going to be able to play. And then Matt Porter tweeted out that, you know, he just happened to be out there doing a radio hit. And, oh, lo and behold, here comes Charlie McAvoy getting out of a car. <laughs> and our cameras, and I think it was actually ESPN's cameras because that's their game, they pick him up walking in. And all of a sudden you're scrambling and you're checking, you know, how is this happening? Like, how is this allowed to occur? And from the way it was explained to me is it's five days from the onset of symptoms plus negative tests plus medical clearance. And they got it. And apparently the onset of the symptoms was last Thursday. And, you know, some people said to me, well, how could you play with symptoms? And I don't know the full story, but one thing I do know is that just because you have symptoms doesn't mean you test positive. You know, until you have that negative test, you're not out of the lineup. So hmm. I don't know the timeline here. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people have conspiracy theories about this. But at the end of the day, that's what I was told the timeline was, and he was cleared to play. St. Louis Blues, they grab a 3-2 series lead by beating the Minnesota Wild 5-2 on Tuesday night, Elliot. And in a lot of ways, this game was the story of two Russian snipers. Early, it was the Kirill Kaprizov story. He scores a pair, goals number six and seven. And then the third period, all Vlad Tarasenko, the hat trick, the natural hat trick, goals two, three, and four in the playoffs for Vlad Tarasenko. Jordan Bennington, by the way, 30-save performance, uh, now has 18 playoff wins, and with that becomes the St. Louis Blues all-time winningest goaltender in the playoffs. Your thoughts on this one? Somewhere in Calgary where he's working the Flame Star series, Greg Millen is is crying in, in his hotel bed, like curled up in the fetal position in the corner, because he and Mike Mike Liute, yeah, Liute as well. Yeah, so Millsy's out. Uh, too bad, you know. Uh, Millsy, good for him. It's like I think that you know people forget what a great goaltender he was, and it was good to hear his uh, name brought up again. Yeah. I have to tell you, I was watching the beginning of that game, Merrick, and I was thinking about my heart ballot. I was like, oh, man, Kaprizov. I, I really regret where I had him as I was watching the beginning of that game. But like, I didn't get a chance to watch that game a ton, not as much as I was watching, obviously, Toronto and, and Tampa for ho- and then the other game for Hockey Night in Canada. But every time I looked up, the Blues were chasing Kaprizov all over the ice. Yeah. You know, somebody made the point to me that, you know, one of the things that's kind of going on here is that the blue, the wild were going hard at Cairo and Thomas, which is fine. That's playoff hockey. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think the blues just said, you know what? We got to respond in kind. We have to be in a situation where if they're going to go hard at our best players, we have to go hard at their best players. And I, I really saw Braden Shen He definitely took that to heart. And Mm -hmm. that series is not for the faint. And good on Tarasenko. I mean, you need your best players to take over in the big moments. And he absolutely took over in the big moments. Here's what I wonder coming out of it now, Elliot, for the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Do they go to Cam Talbot or is it too late? That's a great question. I mean, how do you feel about having a guy 
not play until game six. I don't know. I mean, he was so good coming off the regular season. They handed the whole thing to Marc-Andre Fleury. I get it. I'm sure that even though he put on the brave face publicly inside, Cam Talbot was saying, what more did I need to do down the stretch uh, to get in, to get into the playoff game? Now, all of a sudden, uh, their backs are against the wall. St. Louis is one win away from advancing and sending Minnesota home. And we all know what's going to happen next season with their, their cap situation. And who knows what's going to happen to the team. <sighs> I don't know. Uh, a part of me says you got to go to Talbot. And then another part of me says it's probably too late for that. And I don't know. I don't know which side is going to win. I guess I'll, I'll see how I feel in the morning, but do you have a, a strong feeling either way on it? Well, the one thing I think about is that Everson and Garen are not afraid, right? True. Like if there's a team that would not be afraid to do the unconventional thing, it would be Minnesota. You know, geez. So basically today, as we record this, it's Tuesday night. Talbot's last game would be about 10 days ago. It's a couple weeks. You're going to throw him in 10 to 12 days in the middle of this series. I mean, Cam Talbot's not going to say no, and it would be a hell of a story if it happened, but it's a tough place to put a goalie in. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences, People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, Elliot, before we get to the uh, the draft, NHL draft lottery, which we saw on, on Tuesday evening, let's do a couple of quick hits on the series, other series and where they're at. The Pittsburgh Penguins on Wednesday look to close out against the Rangers. They've chased Igor Shosturkin two games in a row. Gerard Gallant saying he's still going in there as our starter in game five. The top line of Crosby, Gensel, and Rust have been outstanding. What do you make? What do you think happens on Wednesday? Well, first of all, there's a couple things I like the Rangers have done in the aftermath of that game. Number one, Gerard Gallant comes right out after losing game four and says, Yeah, I mean, he's probably real frustrated. I mean, I don't know. There's probably four goals that were deflected tonight. So, again, it's a team effort. And uh, he'll be back in there and he'll ready to win the next game on Wednesday night. So, I've got all the confidence in the world in him. And, uh, like I said, it was a tough night for our team. And um, he's not even close to being... I'm disappointed in more than our team than him. I like that. He's your Vesna Trophy winner. You show the, the vote of confidence in him. Number two, I thought Adam Fox came out on Tuesday, and he says... Yeah, I mean, that's strictly on us letting him down. I mean, I don't know how he would have stopped most of those goals, and 
he stopped a lot of great A's too that they had, uh, you know, before they tipped those in. So, I mean, that's when your goalie gets pulled, it's usually on the team. It's it's nothing on him. I mean, he's been our backbone all year. We have nothing but confidence in him. And uh, so, yeah, obviously, you know, we, we know what he's capable of and we definitely got to help him out a little more. Which is true. Like, there were a couple of situations where Shesterkin was beat, uh, passes to the back door, and also where his defense is supposed to cover, and also some of those were great deflection where his defense, you know, couldn't tie up sticks or stuff like that. So I like that. I'll tell you what the wild thing I thought was on this series, Jeff, is that on the off day during their practice on Tuesday, the Rangers were doing, like, sprints. Yep. You know, I can't remember the last time I've seen that in the middle of a playoff series. Like, that's a coach who was not very pleased yeah. with his players. Uh, Gerard Glant was not amused uh, after game four at all. So that perhaps shouldn't surprise anybody. Washington Capitals, Florida Panthers. If the Garnet Hathaway oh, shot at the empty net goes in, Elliot, we're talking about the Floridas getting punted. Instead... It's all tied up at twos, and the Panthers are back home. And that's the second time we've seen that recently. Remember the night that Vegas lost the shootout to San Jose when they scored with less than a second left? Mark Stone hit the post. Yeah. And if that one goes in, how different is everything right now? I think the Capitals are capable of handling that uh, mentally. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're a team I, I really worried about being phased by that. I also thought, once I looked at the Oshi hit on Bennett, I agreed that that was a fair non-call and a fair non-suspension. We give a lot of grief to officials with high speed, don't make great calls. I have to say that that was a really well-done call. I have to give those guys credit. I still think this series is a complete toss-up. And you know you know who I'm waiting for to start to take over this series a bit? Is Barkov. He's been a little bit quiet. Mm. I think the Panthers need him to take over the series. Uh, the other game on Wednesday evening, the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames. The Flames have jumped right back into this one. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau scoring. Races to the Stars net. Deeks shoots and scores! Johnny Gaudreau! Forehand to backhand buries it, and it's 2-0 Flames. And it seems as if the Calgary Flames have said, we're not interested in the extracurriculars right now, thank you. We're here to play hockey. Well, isn't that about time? Yeah, well, specifically for Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, they were all business. I love what Lucic did. I love what Lucic did at the start of the game. There was a lot that went right for Calgary in game number four. Markstrom realized that he had no margin for error. He was up to the challenge. Goudreau got a goal. And Ron and I were talking tonight, like, Ottinger's blocker is incredible. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I think this series still has very tight margins. And it could go either way. Like, Calgary to me is still the better team. But the margins of this series are really tight. And... I think the one guy who might be feeling it a bit is Jason Robertson. And it's not that he's not trying. He's competing really hard. But they're all over him. They're making life really difficult for him. And I think one key for Dallas is going to be, can they free him from the shackles? Yeah, and uh, listen, I'm sure you remember talking to him at the Players Tour in Chicago as well. And he's, 
you know, he's his own worst critic too. I, I, I just wonder if, yes. you know, like he has a really high expectation of himself at a high standard uh, that he sets for himself. I just hope for his own well-being that he's not in his own head at this point. Like a guy like Jason Robertson, young kid, high expectations, high, you know, sets a high threshold for himself. A guy like that needs a goal early in a series so he doesn't start to, you know, live in between his own ears. I just hope that that's not happening right now for Jason Robertson. The the, the player is too good. I agree. There are only three games on Wednesday, Elliot, because Colorado, as we all know, took care of the National Predators uh, in sweeping fashion. And then the question becomes, what's next of the Nashville Predators? And a couple of questions are out there. One, the future of Philip Forsberg with the Nashville Predators. And maybe two, I don't know if this is quieter or maybe in a lower key, the future of David Poyle with the Nashville Predators, Elliot? You know, I was sent some stuff today, and um, I guess there were some real uh, hard criticisms of Poyle in the aftermath of the sweep. And I was a little bit surprised. Like, I, I don't have a problem with people's opinions. You know, I tell people, however you feel how, is however you feel. I don't have a problem with that. But I was a little bit surprised because I think the Predators were better than a lot of us thought this year. Yep. Just for example, Jeff, in our in-season Stanley Cup pool, I think they were like the 27th pick or the 28th pick. I didn't have them as a playoff team. I didn't have them as a playoff team either. So I look at their group and I say they were better than I thought they were. The other thing, too, is I think you have to give the organization credit, too, for, you know, Duchesne. They invested in Duchesne. Instead of giving him up, I definitely think they tried to move him, and I definitely think they tried to move Johansson. But when they couldn't do it, they invested in finding a way that they could make those guys better. And both those guys were better, especially Duchesne. Hmm. So I was a little bit surprised. Now, I think the thing you always wonder about with Poyle is simply because he's been around so long, does he ever reach a point where he says, you know, it's time? But I didn't look at this and say, this was a bad year for him. I mean, Janot was a big make for him. Alexander Carrier looks like another really good defenseman that they found. But the thing is, like, he's got a big job to do right now, as you said, and that is what's going to happen with Forsberg. Like I said, Poyle could go at any time simply because he might just say, I've been around long enough and it's time. But I don't look at this year as evidence that he did a poor job. I actually thought they did a better job than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. The only reason I bring up David Poyle is to that, to that note, I'm not saying that the organization would have an issue with David Poyle. This is a team that I think, you know, exceeded expectations. And, you know, David Poyle has been responsible for, you know, helping to keep this thing going and keep this team in the playoff picture and keeping that building filled. I just wondered, and as I always wonder about people, when you've been at it as long as David Poyle has, does there come a point where you just say, okay, it's my time. Maybe it's time we transition this to someone else. The Forsberg thing is interesting because Nashville has gone through this before. Key player uh, on an expiring contract, doesn't get moved at deadline. There's a belief he's going to resign. Uh, You know, I'm thinking about Ryan Suter here as I get you set for Philip Forsberg. This has happened before with Nashville does it feel different than Suter with Forsberg now? You know, the one thing that I 
look at here is that if it was not complicated, it would have been done already. You know, he, on the breakup day, he said... I've said that since since day one, the, the goal is to come back here. And the business side is, is completely different than the on-ice side, as, as you guys are aware of. And just kind of have to, to wait and see and play it out. There's been been obviously some some progression throughout the season from where we started in, in September. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're obviously, me and my agent and, and David and Brian and the management are going to be on, yeah, an ongoing conversation in the process. And yeah, we'll just have to see where we end. That's positive news. That's what you want to hear. But clearly, you know, here we are. It's now May the 11th and it hasn't been done yet. There's obviously something about this that is very complicated or more complicated than meets the eye. You know, now is the time where obviously the Predators and Forsberg will really go out of their way to get it done. However, the fact that it's gotten to this point, mm-hmm. if you're a Predators fan, you got to be a little bit nervous. You know, like you and I talked about, I think it was about a month ago, right around trade deadline time. The whole thing to me just feels like eight years at $8.5 million. I think if it was that simple, it would probably be done already. I know, but does it that, like when I say that, when you look at Forsberg and you look at where Yossi's at and where the Shane and Ryan Johansson are at, doesn't that feel like the right number? Guy did score 40 goals this year. He's an, a real nice player too. And you know what you, you wonder about Forsberg too, you know, once upon a time, I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast as well. When Colorado was going through their situation with Gabriel Landeskog, and teams like the St. Louis Blues were licking their chops, thinking that, you know, Landeskog might not re-up with Colorado. Philip Forsberg was the player that Colorado was looking at to replace Landeskog should he shuffle off and, and go somewhere else. So I don't know what's going to happen to Colorado in the offseason. I don't know what's going to happen to Nashville in the offseason. But once upon a time, there was some interest there from the Colorado avalanche. We shall see what happens with uh, Nashville in the offseason. When you look at the deals that they already have, like Forsberg is the big business. Everybody else, all the primaries here are all locked up, Elliot. All they need to do is get UC Soros healthy again. And that is the thing, too. I, you know, look, they weren't going to beat Colorado, but I think that series would have been a bit more competitive if Soros was there. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco Boat, really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb 
is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. NHL Draft Lottery. Congratulations, Montreal Canadiens. Congratulations, New Jersey Devils, who will select uh, second overall. And congratulations to the Arizona Coyotes, who will select third. Uh, We've talked about this before, Elliot, how important this day is uh, in the NHL. This has become one of the most important days for franchises. It can help reset your franchise. It can help initiate a rebuild. It can help move your program forward. Uh, your thoughts on what we saw on Tuesday night with Bill Daly flipping over the cards? Well, first of all, it's going to be a crazy draft in Montreal. Like Jeff, the buzz for that's going to be awesome. Yes, it will. It's been 37 years, right, since yeah. the team had the number one pick in their own city. It's been 42 years since the Canadians had the number one pick. As you said, it, it's going to be a key part of their rebuild. I think it's just going to be awesome, and I, and I can't wait to go. I, I'm as excited as I was about the games. I was excited tonight thinking, too, about the draft in Montreal with the Canadians having the number one pick and and how fantastic and awesome that that is absolutely going to be. You know, I thought Ken Hughes' son, Jack, had a great tweet. His, his son is also named Jack Hughes, by the way. He plays at Northeastern, and Ken said, I'm not taking my son first overall, and, and Jack tweeted, big mistake, which I thought was great. The, the other thing that was funny, too, was I when New Jersey moved up, mm-hmm. I had some people texting me. As, as everybody, we, we know the rule now is starting this year, you can only win it twice in five years. Yeah. So their previous success doesn't count. But people were like, them again? <laughs> because New Jersey and Edmonton were the two teams that everybody was complaining about, right? Yes. So it was kind of funny when New Jersey won one of the lotteries and moved up. People were like, oh, God, not the Devils again. But it worked out perfect for them. By the way, that little smirk or smile or the way he was trying to suppress the smile uh, on Tom Fitzgerald's face, like the look on Tom Fitzgerald's face to me was priceless, Elliot. That was one of the highlights of the draft for me. I wouldn't be suppressing it if I was there. Oh, I know. I'd have the biggest smile on my face. I'd be like those Buffalo Bills fans who, when they were going to four straight Super Bowls, they were saying, deal with it, America. Like, that's what I would be doing. Uh, By the way, I have to say, like, some of the stuff this year was credit to the Vancouver Canucks who set up Patrick Alvin in a beautiful shot. They gave him. And I hope Lou Lamorello's captors are treating him well. That's all (laughs) I can really say about that. Waiting for him to hold up a newspaper. Um Okay, let me give you, because it's late, and I want to give you something that's going to make you uh, annoyed at me. Okay. So if you're the Montreal Canadiens, and I know you're hosting the draft, um, and I know it's in your backyard, and you got the first pick, and it's great, and a lot of this is show business, and I understand all that. If the Arizona Coyotes come to you and say, we will give you our number three overall pick, 
and our first rounder next season in exchange for the first overall pick. What do you say? And the first overall pick next season? We will give you this year's third and next year's first. Now, it's not a guarantee that's going to be first overall. Oh, my God. You can't do You can't even do that if you're Arizona. <laughs> in exchange for. You can't do that if you're the Coyotes. You can't do that. You're going to get a third and an extra shot at Connor Bedard. Yeah. If you're the Coyotes, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't even do that. If I'm Montreal, I do it. If I'm Ari- I don't even think that offer gets made. No chance. We'll put that to the court of public opinion. And by that, I mean Twitter. Yeah. Uh, if you disagree with Elliot, please feel free to tweet him. He loves getting tweeted. Arizona can't make that offer. Not a chance. Elliot, it's been a little bit of time now since the New York Islanders um, relieved Barry Trotz of his duties as the head coach of the New York Islanders. When it happens, there's always the initial take, and then there's a few hours and a couple of days that go by, and you get some context and you have some conversations, and things start to become a little more clear. What do you make of the entire situation? So I think I have a bit more clarity right now, just after a few conversations I've had now, it's been like a couple of days. And I would just say that this year has been a really, was a really hard year in New York for a lot of different reasons. Number one, obviously was the road trip at the beginning of the year. Number two was the COVID situation that they had, that they played through. I was told by several people that the fact that the Islanders continued to play while other teams, particularly Boston, like that was the one team that was mentioned to me, was able to get postponements while they were going through COVID Mm -hmm. was a real source of disappointment and frustration inside the organization. Then there's the losing. And I know that they won a bit at the end of the year, but they were 20 points out. And I think those three things especially the losing. Like, I think you can put up with the road trip and the COVID if you're winning, but when you're losing, it makes it worse. Like, and I thought it was a great comparison. Somebody compared it to a marriage. You know, when you go through a lot of things that are tough and challenging, you really have to battle to keep your relationship together. And also because any small crack or fissure that you have, it grows, it exacerbates, it gets worse. And what someone said to me this year was it was one of those years where because of all these three things that I mentioned, that all the fissures or all the small cracks that any normal organization would have, they just broke open. And I think it got to a point where Lou Lamorello said that we have to do something new. You know, the foundation cracked and we, we have to try to fix it a different way. You know, I, I look through Jeff, Lou Lamorello's history He's had 19 head coaches during his time with the Devils, the Maple Leafs, and the Islanders. And that's not counting the two times he put himself there, and it's not counting Doug Carpenter, who he inherited uh, in New Jersey. And Barry Trotz, of all of his coaches, lasted the second longest. I think it's 288 games. Hmm. And the only one who lasted longer was uh, Jacques Lemaire, the first time, who was in the 300-game range. So he actually didn't have, for him, an itchy trigger finger. But what I heard from several people was that a lot of people outside the organization may be surprised, but people inside the organization were not surprised because of how hard a year that this was on a lot of people. Mm. And they said that Barry Trotz should not be blamed for it. It was bigger than him. 
you know, he's the guy who kind of takes the fall here a bit. But I think everybody knows that he's going to be able to write his own ticket. And people stress to me that it doesn't mean he's a bad coach or a bad guy. Just said that this year was so hard on that whole organization that they have to try some other things. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to say, and that is I had some Islander fans ask me, like, did Matt Barzell say that he's not staying long-term if Barry Trotz is the head coach? And I never heard that. Like, nobody ever said to me that they heard specifically Barzell say that. So, like, if people are running with that, Nobody ever said that to me. Now, I think there are some young players like Noah Dobson who really improved under trots. Do I think some young players were really frustrated? Yes. I think that happens in a lot of situations. But if people are saying, oh, Barzell said that, you know, if trot stays, he's not. I have no evidence that that's the case. Barry Trotz has one more year uh, on the deal at $4 million. Um, and a lot of people, Ken Weeb, uh, for example, our, our, our teammate and colleague here at Sportsnet, um, you know, mentioning the reasons why the Winnipeg Jets should look at Barry Trotz. I mean, it does seem like the most obvious fit. Do you think that's the road the Winnipeg goes down? I think they will be interested for sure. By the way, uh, there's another guy out there who has some Winnipeg connections who someone put in my ear and that was Alain Vigneault. Mm -hmm. And I am curious to see if he wants to coach again, because it ended obviously very badly in Philadelphia. And I've heard at times this year that Vigneault would like another chance to prove that wasn't all on him. And he has Winnipeg ties, right? He coached the moose there, but that's, that was another name I heard. I do think Winnipeg will want to talk to Trotz. I mean, why wouldn't they? I've had people tell me they would be shocked if Philadelphia didn't back up the Brinks truck here. But it has to go through the Islanders, of course. Well, here's the thing that I wonder about with Philadelphia as well, because that's one of the teams that jumped to my mind, because Barry Trotz has a lot of experience in that division. The Washington Capitals, the New York Islanders, like... I always look at, you know, where are, where will, where will coaches be the most successful? And I always default to, well, where have they coached the most? Which divisions do they know the most? And if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, how do you not look at Barry Trotz and say, how many games does this guy coach in this division? Of course, he's an obvious choice. At least someone yeah. to talk to. It makes a, makes a ton of sense to me, Elliot. No, well, you know, I don't always make a ton of sense. Maybe this time I am for a change. Uh, so that's your one bit of logic for the podcast. We'll shut it down right there. You're all out of facts. Let's quit while I'm ahead. Yes. That's right. You're winning, kiddo. Uh, we're really excited to have this as part of our 32 Tracks Amazon Music Playoff Playlist, Elliot. Uh, Cam McLean is a Montreal-based singer-songwriter who released his debut record, Wait for Love, in 2018 and is getting set to drop his sophomore LP, Secret Verses, that drops this Friday. Here's Cam McLean with Sunshine on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Man, the hockey's been good. Enjoy this tune.
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.